0: Here come the Irish!
1: Notre Dame football coverage
2: continues now. Now
0: Leonard, down the sideline,
2: Leonard's got great wheels, Riley Leonard inside the 20 budweiser's weekday sports beat leonard has to scramble and on that ankle just bridge his teeth look at this run leonard gets the pass off he's got calhoun
1: wow, well, he no way. from sports radio 960 a.m wspt side run for leonard and he's able to break a tackle look at the first
3: down and ball leonard inside the 20 stiff arms and a fender inside
0: Keeps this time. It's like he has butter on his jersey.
1: Let's continue the Notre Dame football conversation on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with our Notre Dame football week in review. We begin with recruiting news. The Fighting Irish picked up a wide receiver for the class of 2025. With all the details, Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football recruiting reporter Kyle Kelly. Well, we had a little recruiting news over the last few days. The Fighting Irish picked up a wide receiver for the class of 2025, and it seems like every other day they get a player who has a dad who has ties to the National Football League, and this time it is Plaxico Burris's son, Elijah Burris. And Kyle, this is a young wide receiver that the Irish have added to their great 2025 class, and it sounds like, Had he waited a little longer and not picked Notre Dame, his recruiting really would have picked up. Your thoughts on the Irish getting Burris?
3: Yeah, I think that's why Notre Dame pushed so hard to get this one done, marking the uh, first recruiting victory for wide receivers coach Mike Brown since he began at Notre Dame uh, back in December. And uh, this recruitment's been um, pretty interesting for the fact that he got offered um, a scholarship from Notre Dame in early December, or sorry, early January. Came up to campus on January twentieth, and then uh, exactly three weeks from that visit, um, ended up verbally committing to Notre Dame. And when you look at his offer sheet uh, in terms of the schools Notre Dame was competing with, it's a lot of Group of Five schools, and then. Uh, Cincinnati and Duke as far as your your power five or what's formerly known as Mm -hmm. a power five you know kind of referred to as a power four now um with Cincinnati and Duke being the biggest competition there but my biggest takeaway from this commitment has has been the way you started it out is the the NFL pedigree that Notre Dame continues to target um on the recruiting trail this marks uh I believe it's a third NFL legacy commit in Notre Dame's class following uh, Ivan Taylor, the safety from Florida, the father or the son of Ike Taylor, who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, along with Plaxico Burris for a few years there in Pittsburgh. And then uh, James Flanagan, four-star tight end from Wisconsin. Uh, father is also a Notre Dame legacy. Jim Flanagan played on the defensive line, went on to playing the NFL for the Bears, uh, Packers, and a a few other teams. So, yeah, in Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman has been really successful with the uh, NFL legacy guys on the roster, whether it be Benjamin Morrison or Howard Cross or even Joe Walden. They're certainly uh, still targeting those types of players in the uh, high school ranks.
1: I guess it wouldn't be a shock if we don't add another player just like everything you mentioned, all the traits, in Jerome Bettis Jr.
3: Yeah, that's one uh, we're keeping, keeping an eye on over at Blue and Gold. It felt it felt like that way for a while, honestly, since yeah. Notre Dame offered him during their uh, March 17th Pot of Gold Day recruiting event. Uh, Bettis was not a, a guy that we expected to get an offer that day. He, he uh, kind of surprised us, was one of 65 guys during that St. Patrick's Day theme recruiting event. Been to campus a number of times, both as a recruit and with his father. Uh, there, were, there were a couple occasions where he actually came with um, his father, Jerome Bettis, obviously, uh, to, to campus in a non-recruiting capacity where I believe the coaching staff couldn't even interact with him. But anyway, Jerome Bettis Jr. seemed to, to call Notre Dame home, uh, even if it's a little bit subconsciously at this point. So I I think it's only a matter of time before Jerome Bettis Jr. also ends up in Notre Dame's class, and then you're looking at a a wide receiver core with uh, the sons of Plaxico Burris and Jerome Bettis Sr. Um, on that Irish team. Of course, both those guys played together with the Steelers.
1: You can check out more from Kyle Kelly at blueandgold.com. The NFL Draft is coming up in April, but first, later this month, the NFL Combine and Notre Dame is well represented. Here's my conversation with ABC 57's Allison Hayes. The eight players from the Irish going to Indianapolis for the Combine are quarterback Sam Hartman, running back Audrick Estime, two offensive tackles, Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. You've got Javante John Baptiste from the defensive line, linebacker J.D. Bertrand and Maris Leofau and cornerback Cam Hart. So, Notre Dame well-represented at the Combine, which will start in late February down at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. It is worth noting that Sam Hartman got the invite to the Combine, Allison, after he had a really tough go down in the state of Alabama at the Senior Bowl, which was a great opportunity for him to kind of show the second half of the Notre Dame season was, I don't want to call it a fluke, but maybe not the norm, but the way he followed it up, put himself in a tough spot.
4: Wah, wah, wah. It was was hard to watch, honestly. It was really disappointing. I did watch it. I watched almost the entire – in fact, I missed most of Bo Nix and just watched Sam, and he had the opportunity of a lifetime there because Michael Penix decided not to play despite practicing all week. So Sam had the opportunity to play – Essentially, the whole game. And his stats for that were seven of 25 for 69 yards and an interception. And that was it. He just, he was not accurate. He just. He lost a little bit of that mojo or he just didn't have that presence that he once had, especially when he first got to Notre Dame. Um, so it was disappointing. And I had heard there was the conversation the whole week at Senior Bowl was that he was the oldest player on the roster there for out of all the players. He even shaved his beard off to try to make himself a look a little bit younger, he said, which he said did no good whatsoever because it was a type of, of conversation, which I think Does it really matter how old you are when you're entering into the NFL draft? If you're good, if you are winning games, I don't think anybody would give a crap about how old he is. Uh, It was, you know, it's a topic of conversation. It's something to make jokes about, but big deal, right? That's another year, whatever. But he just, I I, I was shocked to see that he got invited to the NFL Combine, and I'll be interested to see what he could even do there that would make a a big enough difference. Do you think he'll get drafted? No. I I don't think so either. I don't think he's going to get drafted. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, maybe maybe late. Maybe he'll be Mr. Irrelevant. I I don't think he's going to get drafted. I think he'll get picked up on a practice squad, and I think he'll be a good locker room kind of guy. I just don't see him being a starting NFL quarterback.
1: As we say when the draft approaches, it only takes one executive, one team to like you. And maybe there is one team that says they would take a flyer on Sam Hartman. And I will describe the pick as a flyer. He is a player right now that is hard to imagine that he would be drafted based on what happened the second half of the year. And if you remember, one of the reasons why he wanted to come to South Bend was was to get into an NFL caliber offense. What they ran at Wake Forest, NFL scouts just don't believe that's something that they can look and watch and say, this guy's going to be an NFL prospect. You need to see him in an NFL offense. Well, he got one here in South Bend against the weaker competition. He looked great against the better competition. I don't want to say just Sam, but the entire offense had its issues. I still believe a lot of that was on the offensive coordinator. Execution is always a part of it. But if you had Mike Denbrock as the offensive coordinator for Sam Hartman, I would love to know the end result. I do believe it would be different. It's A hypothetical, it's a guess. But I think Mike would have gotten the best out of him. I just can't imagine Jared Parker did.
4: I feel bad for him in that sense because he had so much change coming in. There was so much hype and pressure on him. So he had just – it just didn't feel like things were working out. But still at the end of the day, he had an opportunity every week. And then you can't blame Jared Parker for what he did in that senior bowl, right? I mean, in, in, in theory, he had some of the best offensive linemen to protect him. He had some of the best wide receivers to throw to, and he just wasn't able to connect.
1: It's going to be a very interesting process for him. He's going to have to answer a lot of questions. He is. All right. You look at Joe Alt. He's probably not going to do a lot of the combine. You're going to be a top 10 pick. There is no reason to do anything other than maybe he'll do something with weights. I can't imagine he's going to do anything else because why Put yourself in it. position to hurt yourself right. when He's you're already. He's proved everything he needs yeah. to prove. So there's no question. Now, Blake Fisher is going to have to go through the process. I think someone that's interesting is Audric Estime. I just shared with you, Matt Miller, one of the ESPN NFL draft analysts. He is projecting that no running back will go in the first round. He even says he believes there is a chance a running back will not be taken in the top 50. Wow. Now, he says there's a lot of value in the mid-second round into the third round with a handful of running backs. And he has estimate number two on his running back board. But he is saying, and this is just one person's opinion, and again, it only takes one team to look at it differently – but he feels like that running backs may not be called upon until past pick number 50, which is kind of the norm that running backs have been devalued by NFL teams. I mean, look at the contracts some of these guys establish are trying to get, and teams are not investing in them anymore.
4: Well, I would love to see Audric have a, a big showing and just – I'd love to see him have a big career. He He's a guy that I'll always think of fondly here at Notre Dame. I, I loved what he did. I loved his personality and his hard work, his ethic, and everything that he put into it out there on the field. We, you said it's like you you have McCaffrey and you don't play him. That's how I felt whenever they didn't have Audrick on the field. It's like, why is he not on the field? He should be on the field. He doesn't need to rest.
1: Yeah. And I think the one player – who might take the biggest jump in terms of how he played here to the NFL. And the guy I'm picking was really, really outstanding at Notre Dame, but I think there is another level to his game, and that's Cam Hart. With his size and with his athleticism, I think he has the possibility of being a star in the national football league. I really like that, and I think teams are going to love a guy 6'3", 6'4", with that athleticism and ball skills. He's going to be in demand in the NFL draft.
4: He didn't have a huge Senior Bowl, but he played well and he had like a a big moment. You know, he had a highlight to to stand out with a, a three year loss on third and five, and so against Missouri's running back, and so he he had kind of that moment to, yep. for to, a piece of film that you can take from that. I thought you were going to say J.D. Bertrand actually. I mean, he is he was a stud here, and he I think he could be a stud at the next level. Keep him healthy, and he's like the, everything you could want in a defensive player in terms of like the locker room guy, the, the guy on the field that, you know, it can be the general. And he's just a, such a solid, good player. I, I think I love that he's getting a chance at the Combine. I hope he shows out. And I think he could be one of those guys, too, that has a good career moving forward.
1: Eric Hansen is the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, and I discussed with Eric the departure of Chris O'Leary from the Notre Dame coaching staff. Eric, I want to get your thoughts on Chris O'Leary, the Irish safety coach, leaving the Notre Dame coaching staff and going to the NFL. He's going to work for Jim Harbaugh with the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, it sounds like O'Leary had a chance to go to the NFL last year, decided yeah. to stay with the Fighting Irish program that he joined back in 2018. A couple of questions. First off, why do you think this time around O'Leary decided to jump to the National Football League and leave the Irish? Yeah, I'm not sure that he got the job
2: the last time and decided to stay. I think he didn't get the job. Oh, okay. Um, But it's something that he's wanted to do. From what I understand, Notre Dame countered and offered him more money than what the NFL opportunity would have been. He turned that down. He's really had an aspiration to get to the NFL and to get there at this stage of his career. He didn't want to wait till later in his career. And he's got some associations on that team. Um, He is very uh, good friends and has worked with and under Jesse Minter. When Jesse was the defensive coordinator at Georgia State a couple of well, three stops ago in his coaching <laughs> career. He's also worked for Jesse's dad, Rick Mentor. Rick was the defensive coordinator at Florida Tech right after the Georgia State stint for Chris. And so those two worked together. Mike Elston and Chris O'Leary overlapped during Mike Elston's later time at Notre Dame. Mike left after the 2021 season, but Chris was here as an analyst and a grad assistant for several years before he became the safeties coach. So there's a lot of ties and a lot of things that made this a really good fit for for Chris.
1: When you think about O'Leary as a developer of talent and as a recruiter, what do the Irish lose with O'Leary leaving? You know, as
2: a developer of talent, it's a big loss, and so there's big shoes to fill there. As a recruiter, There was some hit and miss there. Um, You know, he didn't recruit Kyle Hamilton. He inherited him. And then you think about some of the five-star and high four-star safeties they swung and missed on. Now, he was starting to get traction now. You know, developing Xavier Watts, Kyle Hamilton doing so well in the NFL, that got recruits' attention, and that's why you see, like, Ivan Taylor and Ethan Long in this 2025 class. This would have been you know, the highest recruits, highest rated recruits that he had gotten. So, but you looked at the safety, he's been great at converting players. I mean, Ramon Henderson came as a cornerback. DJ Brown came as a cornerback. Xavier Watts came as a wide receiver. So they'd have lots of guys, you know, even Antonio Carter, who was one and done here, was a college cornerback that they tried to, convert to a safety so um, not as much in the um, recruiting world but Chris was a guy when you sat and talked to him he could explain things so well he was also wasn't like he didn't recognize the talent Um, and he I went back and looked at old interviews he wanted Xavier Watts on defense from the moment he stepped on (laughs) campus that wasn't after he became an All-American, that's when he got moved to linebacker. He's like, we've been trying to get him over to this side of the ball uh, because we think he's got a really bright future, and he
1: was absolutely on
2: point. So great positional coach, was coming
1: to into his own as a recruiter. So with O'Leary leaving the staff, what does it mean for cornerback coach Mike Mickens? Does he have more on his plate now? Do you feel like he might just inherit that job as well?
2: From what I've been told, he will. He will take on both. And so can he do both? I I mean, there was a time where it was more common in college football for there to be a defensive backs coach than maybe splitting up the linebackers or splitting up the defensive linemen than there was splitting up the DBs. But college football's changed. You play a lot more five and six defensive backs. I think you need two coaches back there. So what will Notre Dame do? We believe that they will promote Max Boa, who's a graduate assistant linebacker's coach, to a full-time position. If they didn't, there's a chance they could have lost him because a lot of people were interested in Max as a full-time assistant coach, if not this year, next year. Mm -hmm. Al Golden can do some roving. Defensive backfield isn't his specialty, although he has a knowledge of every position being a coordinator. But they do need to hire... A graduate assistant who is on par with what Max Bola was as a linebacker's coach. Somebody that's not your run-of-the-mill, I'm learning the ropes kind of safeties coach. They need somebody that can not just babysit during drills but can do some actual teaching and coaching. So look for a high-level grad assistant to join the staff.
1: Eric Hansen, publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. Darren Pritchett with you. Notre Dame at the NFL Combine. Again, eight players invited. Hartman, Estime, Alt, Fisher, Baptiste, Bertrand, Leofal, and Hart. Eric, who might turn out to be a better pro than what he ended up being at Notre Dame. And that's not a negative to say any of these players were bad at Notre Dame, but oftentimes you see guys rise up when they get to the next level. Maybe they get under the right system, the right coach developing them, and they take major steps forward. If you had to guess, based on where they are now at the end of their Notre Dame career, who might take the biggest jump? I think
2: there are four candidates, and for four different reasons, Hmm. But I will
1: say I'll tell you what, as you think, I went with Cam Hart. He's one of my four because of his size and his athleticism at the cornerback position. Yeah. So go ahead. I,
2: I'm I think the safest guy to pick here is Blake Fisher because I think he has the um the all the physical traits to be and the drive to be great at the next level. Um The guy I went out on a limb for, and I don't know if I'm messing up the Twitter question, is J.J.B. Because J.J.B. went from being a part-time player for five years at Ohio State Hmm. to being a guy that went from being, okay, is he a timeshare guy at the beginning of last season to at the end of the year, you could argue he was one of Notre Dame's best five players. Could he continue that trajectory as a pro? He's got some of those qualities. I don't know him well enough to know what his motor is like long-term, but he was impressive at the end of the season. I mean, it's too bad he didn't have a seventh-year eligibility left and wanted to spend an overname. I throw Marist Leafau in there because Marist was a guy who looked like the year that he got hurt and had to miss – that he was right at the verge of being a breakthrough player. And he never became that player at Notre Dame. He became more consistent, more impactful this year than he was last year. But, I mean, if he is a starter at the NFL, he'll be a better player than he ever was at Notre Dame. Um, And I don't know if that's in the cards for him. He's got to take a big jump. So I think then we narrow it back down to – I mean, Cam Hart, there's just not a lot of guys that have those abilities. And it's so funny that he got recruited in Notre Dame as a wide receiver. And I remember talking to his high school coach, and he's like, you should see him as a defensive back. And Mm -hmm. then Notre Dame flipped him after that first season, that first spring, and I thought, I can't wait to see this guy. And you thought, well, maybe he's slow. Maybe that's why he's not a corner because he's 6'3". Why wouldn't you want that as a Sound like Gene Katie. Why wouldn't you, you want to have six, three guys a corner?
3: <laughs> um,
2: but, you know, yeah, I because of all the shoulder injuries he played through when he was healthy, he was really good. So he may be outstanding if he can, you know, keep it together. The medicals are going to be a big thing that people look over and it's going to affect where he goes in the
1: draft and just for the average fan in case they didn't put it together when Eric said JJB, I'll decode it for you it's Javante John John Baptiste, that's okay that's all right. 95% of the people knew but just for the 5% let me just throw that out there, so your final definitive answer is
2: Um, I'm going to go with Blake Fisher I'm going to be safe I'm going to be safe You know, I I think Mm. J.D. Bertrand will surprise people, but I don't think he's going to be better than he was at Notre Dame. He's not going to lead his team in tackles for three years in a row. He showed out at the Senior Bowl. He sure did. He's going to surprise people. He's just – I don't think we're going to see him lead his team in tackles for three years in a row. I'd say, you know, if he had a career arc that was similar to Drew
1: Tranquil, he should be very happy. I was actually thinking of Tranquil – that how I picture Drew going to the next level is how I picture Bertrand. But Tranquil has exceeded that. His ability to play close to the line of scrimmage at his size and using his speed, again, in the AFC Championship game with a key guy out, he stepped in as the spy on Lamar Jackson, one of the quickest players in the NFL, and helped shut him down again was great in the Super Bowl.
2: Right. So. Uh, I would never bet against Drew Tranquil. Oh. He's one of the guys I loved early in his career, and I was wrong about for a while until Brian Van Gorder got out of the way, and then we
1: both <laughs> looked like geniuses. There's a long line, Eric. <laughs> There's a very, very long line.